0: Well, good morning. Let me uh, add my welcome to to those who have already welcomed you this morning and to say if you're if you're here for the first time at Gateway, uh, a little smaller crowd this morning, that's because I'm up here teaching (laughs) Uh, a lot of people traveling uh, today. Uh, But let me just say welcome. We're glad to have you here. And right now we're in the middle. uh, Actually, I think getting closer to the end uh, of, of searching for our next pastor we have uh, uh, elders uh, and men of the church who have been teaching each week from the Word of God. And uh, and I've been in that rotation, and and today I'm going to share with you. And
1: today when I share
0: with you, uh, I I typically have shared from just one passage of Scripture, but it's going to be more topical today, and and maybe you can guess what I'm going to play off a little bit uh, today. Um, Really, I've entitled my sermon running on the road to freedom. So July 4th, the Declaration of Independence and Freedom. On July the 2nd, 1776, that's when the Second Continental Congress voted to approve a resolution of independence, declaring the United States independent from Great Britain rule. That was two days later, on July 4th, Uh, when the state delegates actually adopted the Declaration of Independence. And and that's why we celebrate uh, July 4th. It was on August the 2nd in 1776 when 50 of the 56 delegates actually signed the Declaration of Independence and, and six ended up signing it later. But this was really not the beginning of the end, but really just the end of the beginning. And undoubtedly, I would, I would suspect there were many sleepless nights and, and from an old hymn, Fightings Within and Fears Without, for those men who put their names on that Declaration of Independence. This was a war all of its own with, with many battles and, and just coming to the place that, that deciding that, yes, uh, we would make the Declaration. A Declaration against an empire with a military that at the time none could compare with. And there would be bloody days ahead, and there would be much cost to these men and the people of the United States in both blood and treasure. Now, our Declaration of Independence actually uh, occurred about 12 years after uh, struggle and unrest and some violent conflict had occurred already. And and that culminated with what's uh, been termed the shot heard around the world, uh, beginning the Battle of Lexington and Concord. In 1775, and really, this marked the end of the beginning, with the end coming six years later in 1781, with an American victory at the Battle of Yorktown, Virginia, which marked the end of hostilities, and it was two years later, later, uh, with the Treaty of Paris in 1783, uh, the formal uh, end of the war, and confirming complete separation from the British Empire. And there were many battles in the Great War for independence, and there were many deaths and casualties. There was much brokenness during this great war for our nation's independence. There was an estimated 6,800 Americans killed in action during the war, with 6,100 wounded and and over 20,000 that were taken prisoner. And some historians believe that at least an additional 17,000 deaths were the result of disease including about 8,000 to 12,000 who died while prisoners of war. For the British, uh, we have some data, uh, and and some say it's reliable. It could be questionable about their total casualties. But for British regulars fighting in the Revolutionary War, it was about 24,000 men. And this total number included battlefield deaths and injuries and deaths from disease, men taken prisoners, and, and some that still just remained missing. There were actually approximately 12,000 Hessian soldiers who were killed and about 6,300 who died of disease and another 5,500 deserted and actually settled in America. Well, I wanted to give you that background because actually the pattern of this is eerily similar to patterns that we see in our own struggle against a great enemy. And today I want to talk to you about the road to freedom and I want to talk to you about the cost of freedom. But I want to focus this on a particular type of freedom. And, you know, as believers, we need to understand that we have in Christ freedom from the penalty of sin because of what Christ has done on the cross for you and I. And we have actually freedom from the power of sin as we walk by the Spirit and His power. And we still live in the presence of sin. But one day we will be freed from the presence of sin. But there's a particular kind of sin, and, and I want to term these for you, uh, life-dominating sins, life-controlling sins, that uh, things such as addiction. And I want to talk to you about freedom from these today. Uh, and sometimes these sins dominate your life, your thinking, every moment of your, every waking moment. Some examples of these might be pornography. Or sexual addiction, sexual sin, alcohol and drug addiction. These are some of the, the examples that, that, that could be used. But there are also were other things that can dominate our lives that you could turn them strongholds or uh, some serious idolatry. And sometimes we tend to put those in a lesser category. And, and I'm going to leave that to the Holy Spirit and you today. Some examples might be food or body image or craving for attention or people pleasing or, or many others you know we could we could put on that list, and I don't want to overlook some what might be sinful strongholds in people's lives that that aren't the big ones, but yet um, that we're taken captive by them and so, as I share today, uh, I really want to talk to two audiences you know in any in any church, there are going to be people who are struggling in some of these areas, but there's also many people here that are walking faithfully with the Lord right now that come alongside people and are able to help minister to people and you're in contact it may be in your family it may be a brother or sister in the Lord that is struggling in some of these areas and and really today I, I want to speak to both of those groups if you're in the first group I want to today offer you hope and hopefully as we share today you will if you have been taken captive by these types of sins I pray that 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 This will spring hope in you and and give you an opportunity to to, to really address these. But if you're here today and you're not struggling uh, in in any of these areas in a major way, but you're in contact with people, you have relationships with people, I'd, I'd like to hopefully equip you to give you some ideas about how you can walk alongside them and how we should do that as the body of Christ. And that this should be a place where that happens right here in our church body. So... What I don't want to do today, I'm saying all this up front, is I don't want to leave you with the idea that, that these are five easy steps to freedom if you follow these principles because that's just not the case. Because this is hard stuff. This is life and it's messy. And freedom is not contained in the Sunny Sermon. It's contained in walking day by day, trusting wholly and in living wholly for our great God and Savior. So for those who are struggling today in these areas, I really want to say to you emphatically, you can be free. That you absolutely can be free. There's hope in Christ, and and I want to share with you today how you might begin, just as our forefathers did in that initial Declaration of Independence, that that you can take that first step and that you can declare, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I really want to be free today. So what do you do when you're in that case? I want to talk to you about that. but I also want to equip you if you're, if you're here and you have a desire to, to minister to people. And I think most people, we have so many people in Gateway that are just ministers, that just come alongside people. Uh, and, and I want today to hopefully encourage you and equip you that you can be a person that walks with someone through these. Because we're going to talk about things like accountability and mentoring. Um, so just as the pattern of the revolutionary struggle that began our nation, freedom from many powerful and life-dominating sins... It begins with a period of unrest, struggle, conflict, deep turmoil, and destruction. A lot of things have happened in your life. But that brings you to a decision point. A declaration of independence from this sin. And oftentimes, just as in our early years as a nation, it's followed by many, many battles. The war is full of many battles. And some of those battles are won. some of those battles are lost. But through all of that, the commitment and conviction and character to continue to fight the good fight are born and refined. Leading to freedom in Christ. So I want to share with you, if you're taking notes, uh, there's going to be five principles today that that I cover. Um, And it goes something like this on the road. On running the race to freedom. Running the race for freedom. The first is running with the right motivation. And then running with the right sustenance. Running in the light. Running with a light load. And running with a band of brothers or sisters. So when you are at that place, when you're ready to declare independence from the sin that's dominating in your life. Where does this war for freedom begin? So let's start with number one, running with the right motivation. Mike Cleveland, who's the founder of a ministry called Setting Captives Free, says this. He said, my focus for wanting freedom was all about me. I knew my life needed to get rid of this sin. But what I didn't know was that my eventual freedom would be an incredible opportunity for me to glorify Christ. Today, when I talk about the power of life dominating sin, being broken in my life, the only one who gets the glory is God. He met the need of my heart. And now I can glorify him rather than self with my life. So I want to say up front that this is the beginning place. That if you set out to quit whatever name your sin is for your own glory or for your own reasons, then you can't expect God's. Help in this And really You must want to glorify God More than you want to fix yourself For your family Or your friends Or your reputation you got to deal with all that And that's all natural But you got to start in that place Turn in your Bibles to Judges 7-2 I just want to look at that one verse here We're going to Go ahead and take out your Bibles And as I always say Or your iPads or your iPhones Or, or whatever else we have and some of you may may even still have one of these, uh, But take those out because we're going to be going over a lot of scripture today, so I'd like for you to turn with me where you can. Judges seven two, and it's the story of Gideon, which I think most of you are familiar with. Uh, Gideon was going to fight the Midianites, and the lord had uh, Lord had chartered him to do that and and he was building an army like any good person would that that's been given this charter. And he started out with an army of 30,000, and then it got reduced to 10,000. And then as he came before the Lord, the Lord reduced even that. And and Judges 7-2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands for Israel. To give Midian into their hands for Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. Now, this is so counterintuitive. I mean, for any of us who thinks I'm getting ready to fight the biggest battle of my life, I need all the guns I can get. But that's not the way the Lord works. He doesn't want us to gear up to do this thing and, and get all our tools and everything. We have to start at the place where we say, God, if you're not in this and it's not about you, I have no hope. And that's the beginning place when we're dealing with these life-dominating things. You see, God reduced the size of Gideon's army from 10,000 to 300 so that when they won the battle Israel wouldn't claim the glory for themselves and no power or plan of men would give God the glory. I will say this, yes there's work, there's commitment, there's discipline, there's battling, but God doesn't want us to boast in ourselves. He doesn't want us to vote he doesn't want us to boast in any particular method or program or 12 steps or anything. God desires his glory to be great in our deliverance and our victory and in our freedom. And the Bible's clear on this point. And this is something that some Christians may struggle with. And maybe you've never wrestled with this, but but God glorifies himself. And he gives us that same purpose with our lives as our prime reason for living. So let me say that again. God glorifies himself. And he gives us that same reason and purpose For our living. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. And as you turn there, we'll also be looking at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise... I restrain it for you, in order to cut you. In order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction, for my own sake. For my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory, I will not give to another. That's pretty powerful. But this is our God, and we need to. We need to worship our God for who he is. And this is a whole nother sermon, but it's right that God glorifies himself. And there's a there's there's an amazing revelation when you get that. And it it changes the purpose for why we can say and why the Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isaiah 43, six and seven says this. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Everyone who is called by my name and who I have created for my glory. John 16, 14. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this short passage. And and even the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God. God, he says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit living within you and I's purpose is to glorify God, the father and the son. And then in first Corinthians 1031, this is probably familiar to most of you. It should be a life verse for all of us, no matter how many life verses you have. This should be one of them. It says this, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that includes placing your hope and trust in Christ as the reason, as the reason for wanting to overcome life dominating sin. John Piper was speaking to a campus outreach conference in, in July of twenty thirteen, and he was doing a message titled Glorifying God, and here's what he says. Glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that makes much of God, that gives evidence of the supreme greatness Of all his attributes and the all satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. The title of this first message is glorifying God, period. That is glorifying God is the ultimate, absolute, all pervasive reason for being everything we are and doing everything we do. The main purpose of this message is this. The reason you should glorify God in everything is that God glorifies God. In everything, You see that? So you set this as your motivation for living. Your motivation is being free from this life-nominating sin. You're working in unison with the purpose of God himself. Maybe you need to go to God and pray a prayer of repentance in this area. That you've been trying to be free for the wrong motives. And really, this is a critical foundational element. If we're going to battle a life-dominating sin. It may be, Lord, would you please forgive me for these wrong motives? Would you change my heart and my mind to help me seek your glory above all else? And I would say that if you're in that place or you're walking with someone who's in that place, help them wrestle to get to this place. I've walked with people through some different things in the past, and one of them said that this was... The changing point is they they had tried to overcome a life-dominating sin. But when they came to this as, as the first step, what's my motivation? It changed everything. It changed everything. And help us to get to the place where we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness. Because of your... True. Another powerful verse along with this is Second Corinthians 3:16 through 18. You can turn there. I actually shared this in a sermon I gave uh, not too long ago. Second Corinthians 3:16 through18. It says, "But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away." Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, and what this means, unveiled face, nothing now obstructs our vision of Christ and his glory, beholding us in a mirror of the glory of the Lord. And this is talking about as we continually focus on Christ and we gaze upon his glory, we are, we are singularly focused on Christ. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. As we focus and gaze on Christ, we continually are made more and more like Him as we walk on this earth. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And this is, this is talking about in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that God Himself has, has given us the most powerful resource we need. And that is Himself in you and I. So the first principle is running with the right motivation. So the second principle... Is running with the right sustenance. You can go and turn to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus does the unthinkable for a Jew. And he interacts with a Samaritan woman who's gathering water at the well. And I'm sure you're familiar with this passage if you've been in church at all. Um, so let's pick it up in verse 13. John chapter 4. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So, so the question becomes for, for us, for you, for me, is what well, what water are we drinking from? Now, Jesus offered the Samaritan woman living water. And told her if she would drink this water that she wouldn't be thirsty again. In other words, she would be satisfied. If you discover how you can receive this living water and, and how to drink it, you won't be thirsty anymore. Instead, you'll be free from the craving for and the slavery to whatever this satisfying nature of this sin is. And this woman, like many of us, she was looking for satisfaction and refreshment in all the wrong places. And, and she had seven husbands to prove that. But Jesus came to her and offered her something different. He offered her himself. Let's look at another passage, Isaiah 55, 1 through 4. I know this is familiar to, to many of you here. Isaiah 55, 1 through 4. He uses a word that we typically don't. But, "ho," everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. So the sin that dominates us and controls in us and works on the principle that we're never satisfied. We're always having to go back for more and more and more. It promises to satisfy and, and, and actually maybe does for a short time. But it never lasts. And we keep coming back over and over again. So this passage is an invitation to those who are thirsty. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Everyone who wants satisfaction, come to the waters. Okay, I'm thirsty, you're thirsty. We all want to be satisfied, so where do we go? He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. God himself. The Father. The Son. The Holy Spirit. God's powerful word. His commandments illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Give us life. As we listen. And we meet Christ in them. We walk in them. We meditate on them. We commit them to memory. God's word. Illuminated. Illuminated. By His Holy Spirit is the source of true refreshment that quenches our thirst. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter two, verse thirteen. Jeremiah two thirteen. You see the same the same kind of theme. He says in Jeremiah two thirteen, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, God describes himself here as the spring of living water. And he alone is our source of life and our satisfaction, our refreshment and our joy. He is always fresh and new, like a fresh spring of water. And to drink of God is to live And to be satisfied. Turning to sin to satisfy is like trying to get water from a jar that has holes in it. That's the picture here. Listen to this from Charles Spurgeon. He says, Men are in a restless pursuit after satisfaction in earthly things. They will exhaust themselves in the deceitful delights of sin. And finding them all to be vanity and emptiness, they will become very perplexed and disappointed. But they will continue their fruitless search. Though weary, they still stagger forward under the influence of spiritual madness. And though there is no result to be reached except that of everlasting disappointment, they press forward. They have no forethought for their eternal state. The present hour absorbs them. They turn to another and another of Earth's broken cisterns, hoping to find water. Not a drop was ever discovered yet. That's what we do. Probably all of us in measure. That's powerful. Turn over to John seven. John chapter seven. Verse thirty-seven. John seven thirty-seven. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, this is the power to overcome. Jesus... When he left, he said, I go away so that the Comforter can come. And when the Holy Spirit came, when you were born again as a believer, if you're walking by someone who's a believer through this, they have the Holy Spirit of God within them. And this is the power that God will give us to be delivered. So here's the challenge. Will I drink the living water or will I drink from other wells? And actually both promise satisfaction, but only one delivers. And this is something that if you're walking through this yourself, you, you probably very clearly know what the well is that you're drinking out of. And you continue to drink out of that, and it doesn't bring life. The act of drinking involves my choices and my actions. And to drink the living water, I really need to spend time in God's Word often. The mixing of living water and sewer water produces death. Thirdly, I want to talk about running in the light. And this is something as as you think about these life-dominating sins, or sins that have control or strongholds in your life, or walking with someone. Turn to John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Talk a little bit about bringing secret sin into the light. If this seems a little heavy for you today, this is about freedom. For for anybody that's ever either walked here, because I'm sure there's some people here who've walked through some of this or is walking with someone. You realize that freedom, this is freedom. When we can experience deliverance through the power of Christ in these areas in our life. And what a great day to preach about freedom. So all this may seem a little heavy This is the best news that we can deliver. And if you're a believer, you want to be equipped to be able to actually walk with someone through this and and give them hope. And we have loads of hope here. Loads of hope. So I just want to say that as we continue through this. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Now, bringing anytime you're dealing with this kind of sin in your life, the the power of secret sin is unbelievable. And then it's it has at some level to be brought into the light Um, and bringing sin, your sin into the light may be very difficult for you. And it may be a process. It may be very humbling, but it will be necessary. Now, Mike Cleveland, uh, quoted him earlier of Setting the Street Ministry, says, You need to begin to slowly and carefully expose any hidden life or hidden sin with someone else, using discernment as to who and when to approach this person. It may be just one other person, it may need to involve others. And You may or probably need to seek counsel on this, depending on what we're talking about. But keeping your secret sin secret leaves you in a bind, literally with the chain still attached. And the enemy will lie to you over and over and over again and tell you, just talk to God about it. But you need, and we'll talk about, there's good reason why we need to bring this into the light. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 5-10 says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, the blood of His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is such a powerful promise. And I know that every single person in this room is so grateful for this. Because what it says is that as a believer, you will sin. And yet, you come to Christ. And as we over and over come to Christ and we repent, the Lord brings us to a different place. So the results of walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It opens up our fellowship with each other again. And the blood of Jesus, of His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is, this is just a powerful passage. And for somebody who's walking through this, they need to get the vision That you know what? Bringing my sin into the light. Even if it's one other person. Is going to reestablish. It's going to free you like you would never believe. And it's going to actually open up fellowship with others. And cleansing from your sin. So bringing secret sin into the, the light takes all of its power away. So often the thought of confessing your sin to another is just really, really frightening. And it and petrifies us. I want to share a testimony of someone who uh, from this, uh, this is something I've walked through some folks with. It's called The Way of Purity Study for someone who might be struggling with pornography. It's a 60-day, um, uh, if you will, study. You walk through with someone else uh, and another accountability partner and a mentor. Uh, and this is there, there's hundreds of testimonies in here. This is just one in relation to what we're talking about here. It Says, part of the reason we want to get rid of this sin is because of the shame and self-loathing that it creates in our hearts. I thought exposing this sin to another would cause me to feel the shame and loathing more intensely. The exact opposite was true. What came to me after exposing it was the pure freedom of not having to live the lie. It was not what I expected. But it was a most wonderful gift from God. You know, for, for now, you may, if you're in this place, you may just need to ask the Lord to help you to see your way forward in this area. To begin to pray about taking this step. If it's a type of sin that involves others, uh, you, you may need to seek counsel. You know, this is not something that should be done lightly or flippantly. Um, this is something that's very seriously, and I can't say that enough from up here. Um, it may be that it would be good for you to go to, uh, to, the, to a pastor, to one of the elders, uh, to a mature Christian that you know, and, and get their counsel on how you should move forward. Um, just finish by saying just, oh, to, to break the power of secret sin. We have so many songs we sing up here that talks about the shame that's involved and, and those kind of things. But, but it can be broken. if we we walk in it in in God's way. So, as we start to to move towards the finish line here, number four, running with a, a light load. Now, the battle's hard, and you need to lighten your load, and I'll start to get a little military on you, to be lean, agile, and able to fight with deadly force against the enemy. That's what you need to be able to do. And remember, the whole context is that we're we're talking about life-dominating sin. Something that that grabs people and controls them. Whether that's you or someone you know. I don't want to do that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Start with, read verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. A very, another very familiar passage. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So what are the things, the the practices, the patterns, the places, the people, the thoughts in your life that are contributors to the sin in your life? That are encumbrances or entangling you in your battle for freedom. Romans 13, 14 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. We make so many provisions for our flesh from that list of things I just said, our practices, our patterns, the places we go, the people that that we hang out with, maybe our thought life, all of these things. We we set up places for, for for sin to just just easily We make provisions for the flesh. But we need to ask ourselves, what are those areas? And then ask, where are we still making provisions for the flesh? And if those areas are still there, I can almost guarantee you that you will continue to fall. If you're trying to get out of this life-dominating sin in your life, but you're still making provision for it, or you're still allowing things in your life that contribute to that, I can tell you that that's not a good idea. It's a principle of truth that in order to run this race, we must remove anything that entangles us. Now, the principles magnified in these verses from Matthew 5 and this Matthew five twenty nine through 30. Matthew five twenty nine through 30 it says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. And throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's a pretty sobering passage, isn't it? That's not really a feel-good Sunday morning, you know, July 4th verse to read. But but I will tell you, if you're overcoming life-dominating sin or addiction, these verses are often used to characterize the term that we would call radical amputation. Radical amputation. And the question is, are you willing to remove whatever in your life is causing or contributing to your sin? Now, God was radical in his dealing with sin, wasn't he? How radical was was he? He sent his son to the cross. I mean, to, to suffer more than you and I will ever have to imagine. And that's how he dealt with sin. I know we're short on time, but I really want to read this to you. It's from C.S. Lewis's book called The Great Divorce. And you've got to kind of put on your thinking caps for this, okay? You've got to stay with me when I read through this. All right? So in his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis gives us a good picture of the deception of sin and the need to be radical about amputating it. In his story, and listen to this part up close because you're going to need this context as I read through this. Because you know C.S. Lewis, sometimes I read his, some of his stuff and I've got to listen two or three times to 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 get it. So listen to this part up front. Um, In his story, he and some others were on a bus trip that took them to the outskirts of heaven. There, they're able to get a glimpse of true reality about heaven and themselves. Now, in this story, the people from the bus trip are ghosts. So those would be the people that are heading towards heaven, uh, like you or I, somebody that's struggling. For they're not fully human as they will be when they get Into heaven for all eternity. Now, each ghost has something he must give up, and just read into that life-dominating sin. So here we go. Here it is. I saw some. I saw coming towards us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. Like all the ghosts, he was unsubstantial, but they differed from one another as smokes differ. Some had been whitish. This one was dark and oily. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. Now read into that. That's the life-dominating sin. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward, away from the mountains. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man, and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body, too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light. We're talking about the Lord here. Like the morning sun is the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality. But it's no good, you see. I told this little chap here, he indicated the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do here. I realize that, but he won't stop. I I just I just I shall just have to go home. Would you like me to make him be quiet? Said the flaming spirit an angel, as I now understood. Of course, I would said the ghost Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. "Um, uh, Look out. You're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed, said the angel? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with something so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel. His burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it, said the ghost. May I kill it, asked the angel. Well, there's time to discuss that later, said the ghost. There's no time. May I kill it? But please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm, I'm sure it will be all right now. Thank you so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I, I'm sure I'll still be able to keep it in order now. I, I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it, said the ghost. Well, the gradual process is no use at all. Well, don't you think so? Well, I think over what you said very carefully. I, I honestly will. I'm, in fact, I'll let you kill it now. I'd let you kill it now. But as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It would be silly to do it now. I'd need to be in good health for the operation some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It's not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt. I said it wouldn't kill you. The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'll be involved with, without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd only be a sort of ghost. Not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know that there are no real pleasures now, only dreams. But aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say, quite innocent. Have I your permission? Asked the angel to the ghost. I know it'll kill me. It won't. But supposing it did, said the angel. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering. God help me. God help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony, such as I had never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and then flung it, broken-backed onto the turf so some people rather than cut off the causes to sin just want to stare in the face and say no or try to tell it to be quiet they think that that would be true victory however this desire to try to be strong rather than pure will never result in victory so, so my question is, what is enabling sin in your life? Is it a person? Is it a place? Is it a smartphone? You know, some examples, just just some real particular examples. For those who are caught up in, in pornography, for instance, smartphones got to go. There's so many things in your life that have to go if you're going to, Walk through this and begin the healing process that enable your sin. Access to computers, etc. There's other, you know, someone caught up in drug or alcohol addiction may have no financial accountability. And they need that. Or accountability for their time. And this isn't what's going to fix them. But these are things that, that we're warned about that we need to, to put in place in our life. And, and the list goes on. But we must be honest about what enables our sin and be violent in its destruction. And lastly, and this is the shortest one, running with a band of brothers and sisters. You can't go it alone, period. And this is so, so important. You know, God has ordained and He's designed accountability and community for our ongoing work just as, as, as believers, blue-collar believers who are walking with Him day by day. That's how we're to walk is together as the body of Christ in community with accountability. Um, as we're sanctified in him. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, and I think many are familiar with this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either one of them falls, the other will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone... Two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. This is so powerful for us as believers. We need each other. I don't care if you're not involved in a life-dominating sin, but we need each other uh, in this life uh, to walk side by side and pick each other up. So, the power of community, the power of the team, the power of the church, the power of an accountability partner, someone to walk with, and this accountability partner is one who can see at times maybe when you're vulnerable to sin. Or can be there to help pick you up when you stumble or fall. And as you deal with these kinds of sins, normally I can promise you will stumble or fall. It's not, it's not if, but it's when. Because this is a long process. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. So you want someone who's an accountability partner, who's walking with the Lord, who exhibits the fruit of of the spirit of gentleness and is able to come alongside of you when you stumble and fall. Hebrews 3.13 says this, But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Daily encouragement as you're walking through this is something you need. Daily contact, daily encouragement. So some practical steps in this area. Speak with a pastor, an elder, another church leader, a trusted mentor. um, uh, Either for themselves or someone they might recommend to be an accountability partner. Or if you're working with someone or walking along Alongside someone, you may be that person. Or there may be someone else who is appropriate. And I will say this, uh, the nature and level of accountability, specific safeguards that may need to be put in place, it's going to just depend on the particular area that someone is struggling with. And and I can't give you an exhaustive list today. But I will say this, if you're not willing to have accountability in your life, it is highly likely that that you will not win the battle for freedom from the sin which dominates your life. If someone's not walking with you through this. So what have we talked about today on this road to freedom? Started with running with the right motivation as the praise team comes. Living for the glory of God. Running with the right sustenance. Drinking, drinking exclusively from the living water. Christ and His Word. Running in the light. Breaking the power of secret sin. Running with a light load. Radically amputating anything that enables your sin. And finally, running with a band of brothers and sisters. Embracing the power of accountability and encouragement, grace and love from the body of Christ in your battle. So if you're here today, as we started out this, and, and you find yourself in this position today. I just really want to offer you hope and encouragement. And I want to tell you that you can be free. And I say this with confidence. I don't say it lightly. And I say just as I started this off, it, it may be a long war with many battles. But there is freedom that you can find in Christ. I've seen it happen and there are many who can testify to the, the freedom that they have found uh, in Christ. But you may be here today and, and you know someone who's walking through something like this and you've just never known how to approach them. There are so many resources You know, we can all walk beside anybody through anything as believers, and we should be. That's a part of what we do as the church. Some of these life-dominating sins require or are very helpful to have had some special training and kind of, you know, how you approach them because of of the power of that sin in someone's life. And I would encourage you, if if that's something that's on your heart, uh, come see me. I would love to to get you connected with some resources or training or, or, or whatever I can do. So... Uh, as we as we sing our final song, the, the altars are open as always. Uh, and, and let me just say this as we, as we close is that, you know, I shared this not not because it's, it's a real upper sermon, but because it's a sermon that I know without a shadow of a doubt. There's not one person in this church who's either not been under a life dominating sin or some stronghold in their life or who has not had someone in their family who has walked through this or may be walking through it today. And I just want to tell you that in Christ there is freedom.